least I think it will be neat. You guys, you want to come in close here? Love to have you. It, we're, we're a little... Okay, we need Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, you have a Bible. Uh, can you see that they get Bibles here? And Tony's going to help you. So everybody needs a Bible. You need a Bible and a revival. You got Bibles back there, people? So back in for my punishment, I should have to wear your glasses, and I'll let you have to <laughs> wear, let you wear mine. And, I wasn't looked. Tell you played basketball. The, the no look. I don't know what happened. <laughs> <laughs> so I want to pray for you. Pray for me. Pray for us. Father, have your way right now. Do something very special. Do it special in me. Do it special in us. Come in a wonderful way. Touch our hearts. Change us. We surrender afresh to you for what you want to do right now. Holy Spirit, as we sang in the song, we are welcome. You're welcome, and you're a powerful God. We know you are. And so do your work. Do whatever needs to happen in us because we know you want to work through us. Okay. Amen. This is on, right? We're, yeah, it's on. Okay. So I'm going to do two things. I'm going to tell you what's been going on in my life, and then I'm going to teach from the book of Jonah and, uh, and then apply it and we'll have some prayer together. So back in December... Uh, young man from Uganda came with Diane Brass. Diane's going to be speaking here next week. We're, we're getting ready for revival. We're anticipating revival in June. It may sound strange to say we're expecting it in June. You know, we don't tell God when to come, but we believe God's spoken to us and that uh, revival is imminent. And that began to happen in my heart as a result of this Ugandan man coming as he was sharing his stories. I was saying to myself, I want what he's got, 34 years old. And so I had him pray for me, and God imparted to me what I would call a spirit of prayer. And so after that, I was awakened often in the night or early, early in the morning for prayer. And uh, it's been a special time for me. I had a prayer life before then, but this gave it a significant upgrade. And... Uh, as I was praying then, I began to hear words about revival. I had not heard words about revival before, never. In fact, I had had times where I discouraged people from praying for revival. I used to teach out at a Bible school in California, and I saw the students that were praying for revival were critical of the present but hopeful of the future. And I said, I got a suggestion. Don't pray for revival. Be a revival. Whatever you expect that revival to do for you, Start living that right now so, to, so it would change their uh, outlook. Now, I think most people who pray for revival, it's a good thing. 
and, and uh, they're expecting something. And I am praying for revival and expecting it, anticipating it, inviting God to do what he said he's going to do. And so I began hearing these words, and I'm writing them down. I'm looking, and other people are calling me. A friend of mine, Nate, said, Paul, do you know of anyone who's hearing anything about revival? I said, let's get together. And so he said the same thing that I was feeling, that revival is imminent. That I, my friend uh, uh, Fred Tony started sending me prophetic words from people, Dutch Sheets, among others, who had words about revival that's imminent, it's coming, it's close at hand. So I talked to some of the leaders here in the Twin Cities. They said the same thing. Now, I know you have heard other things like this before. I have heard things like 2012. Okay, it's going to be a special year. And I don't know, maybe it was a special year. It, it might have been special for some people. What I'm hearing now seems to be common among many, many people, human beings, that are hearing God's on the move and God's coming. And God has said he's coming to this place. He's coming to this place. And when somebody shared that with me, they said, he's going to come right to here, Paul. He's going to come to the ranch. I said, God, that sounds wonderful. Will you confirm that to me? Would you confirm it with the scripture? Within moments, my daughter Naomi from down the hall said, Daddy, listen to this verse. It's from John 14, 23. He that loves me will be loved in my father. And we will come and make our home with him. That was within moments after I said, are you coming to our home? Are you really coming to this place? And, and God said to me, I am coming to this place. Now to say he's coming to this place doesn't mean he's not coming to a thousand other places. I just know he's coming here. And so I want to get ready for him. I've been praying and preparing my heart and saying, come God. Come and do what you want to do, and I want to be ready to do whatever you want me to do. So we've set up to have meetings in June, beginning June 1st, Monday. 6 o'clock to 7 o'clock, we're going to pray. 7 to 9, we're going to be uh, teaching. And listen, it's a little different emphasis. It's kind of like in Pentecost. Pentecost, it was God's people that were praying together. There weren't any outsiders in that meeting. The Holy Spirit came. As soon as the Spirit came, what did they do? They left the meeting. The meeting was over. Now, if we get the Holy Spirit in a meeting, our tendency would be to stick around, right? And that's okay. That's fine. Get, get as much as we can. Pentecost meant now we take it out. And that's our emphasis, that we're not going to try to pull people from the outside to inside. We want to go to them on their turf rather than asking them to come to our turf. So we're going to train June 1, 2, 3, 8, 9, and 10. We're going to have messages on how to hear the voice of God, how to pray for the sick how to bring, uh, bring deliverance to people, how-to kinds of things to help train people. Believing, like we're going to see in Jonah, God looks for people. God doesn't do it on his own. God looks for people to connect with. He'll even give a, a reluctant prophet a second chance because he wants to use that person to connect with those people so that he can pour out his spirit and show how good and how glorious he is. So turn to Gen uh, uh, Jonah chapter 1. Go to Jonah, but you're not right there. 
Yes, sir. There's going to be a storm coming up, right, Levi? <laughs> the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to that, what does it say? Great city. So this is a great city. Nineveh was the superpower, actually Assyria, of which Nineveh was the capital. Huge palaces, blocks long. They had the kind of wonders of the world that we would marvel at if we saw them. We have pictures, uh, you know, monuments that attest to the, the culture of the Assyrians. It was phenomenal. It was outrageous. And preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. The stench of their vile atrocities was, was smelling all the way up to heaven. And you think Assyrians, think ISIS, think Nazi. They were wicked, vile people. You don't want to hear me tell you the kind of things that they did to the conquered people. And guess what? Jonah hated him. He hated him more than you hate ISIS. He probably had relatives who were targets of their brutality. And so he had no reason in his own thinking to love them. So, verse 3. Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. Oh, he's going in the wrong direction. He's supposed to go northeast, and he starts out west. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. Verse 4. Then the Lord sent a great wind and the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. A couple years ago, I called my friend Gary because I had seven things that had broken down. I just touched them. Things were happening. And I was wondering, what is going on? I said, Gary, do you think this is God or Satan or me? And he said, yes. When you're in a storm, it might not be a bad idea to ask, who sent this storm? This storm had the signature of God on it, Jonah knew. And so the sailors were wondering what to do. Finally, they go down and get Jonah. He is down, and he fell into a deep sleep. There are ways to escape by running, and he was also escaping by sleeping. And so they finally asked him, what do we do? He had said that he was disobedient to the Lord. And they said, throw me overboard. They didn't want to do it. But finally they did. They asked God to have mercy on them. They threw him over. What happened? They were terrified. This was a storm that they'd never seen before. They were terrified. They thought they were going to lose their lives. They threw car precious cargo over. Now the storm settled down. And they feared God. Something changed. We don't know if they came to faith. They may, might have. You are the light of the world, the Bible says, you people of God. Your light shines brightly, even when you're running from God. Do you know that? Even when you're depressed, even when you're sick. When I was at Luther Seminary, I thought I was losing my mind. But still, somehow God used me. I prayed for a lot of people who are now pastors, and I didn't know about that. I forgot about every one of them. I did not remember one of them. But I missed a meeting. And uh, Dick Denny, who had been at the meeting, said, Paul, you should have been there. I said, why? 
because a lot of the pastors shared that when you were at Luther Seminary, you prayed for them and you were filled with the Holy Spirit. And I said, Dick, I don't remember anyone. I was so uh, confused, so in turmoil, and yet you are the light of the world. You shine. In your darkest hour, you shine more than a pagan ever will because you've got Christ in you who is the hope of glory. And so this happened even in Jonah's uh, failure to connect. Imagine this now. He is going down in the sea. I don't think it calmed right away because he says something in his prayer. I, I'm afraid in stormy waters. And have you been in really, really, really stormy waters? That's fearful to me. I'm a decent swimmer. I do not like storms at sea. This was a terrible storm. And now he's dealing with storm going under the water, wondering if he's going to drown, and then getting swallowed by a fish. Now, what do you picture when you think of being swallowed by a fish? I think of being uh, not in a big tummy where you can move around freely and sit there and wonder what's going to happen next. I think you're squeezed in. I don't know if he could breathe. I wonder if God supernaturally gave him breath. How would you, how would you breathe underwater inside a, uh, a fish? That was terrifying. You can't imagine anything more terrifying than a storm. And then to be swallowed by a fish, listen to his prayer now. Chapter 2, look at your Bible. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord God. He said, in my distress, I... Now, before you finish it, what do you do when you're in distress? Think about some options. In my distress, I went to the fridge. In my distress, I... I called my friend. In my distress, I got angry at the people I live with. In my distress, I got more depressed than ever. What did he do? In my distress. This was terrible, terrible, terrible distress. In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From the depths of the grave, interesting, Sheol, yes, place of the dead. So either he died or he was close to death. Or he thought he died. Yes, yes, either one. I wonder if the Lord resurrected him because you know that Jonah is a sign of the death and resurrection of Jesus. So maybe he, Jesus knew what happened to him. And you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the deep, into the very heart of the seas, and the current swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. This was trauma. I said, I have been banished from your sight because you ran. Yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head, for goodness sake, to the roots of the mountains. There are mountains in the, in the deep, right? To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in. Forever. But you brought my life up from the pit, O Lord my God. I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Verse 10. 
And the Lord commanded the fish. It upchucked Jonah on dry ground. So it's chapter 3 now. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah. What's the next phrase? Nope. What was the next the phrase before that? The second time. You've heard it before. He's the God of the second chance. No, he's the God of the 30th chance. Simon would not have been Peter. Saul would not have been Paul had not God been the God of the 30th chance. How many chances has he given to you? How many chances has he given to me? He's a merciful God. He could, have, he could have said, later on you, Jonah. I talked to some friends at McDonnell Douglas out in California. I said, what happens when you really mess up bad? You get another chance. They said, no, we're canned. What happens when you mess up with God? I'll tell you, if your heart is soft, you get a thousand chances. How merciful God is. So then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to that, what's it called? Great city of Nineveh. And proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed this time. The word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was a very important city. A visit required three days. Big city. This is metropolis. On the first day, Jonah started into the city. He proclaimed, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. The Ninevites believed God. How did that happen? They didn't know about the true God. They probably never heard of God. And they believed. That's because the Holy Spirit the Bible says, convicts of three things. What? Sin, righteousness, judgment. The Holy Spirit can tell people what you're doing is not right. That's vile. That's unhealthy. That's unwholesome. And it can say there is a righteousness and you're not living it. There's a standard. There's a way to live. It's far above what you are and who you are. And then you're going to be accountable for the way you live. You can't live any way you want to and believe that there's no accountability because there will be accountability at the end. There's judgment. And so God got through, through the preaching of a man named Jonah who was a reluctant prophet who had just run the opposite direction, wanted to get away from the Lord. The Lord could have canned him, but he pulled him back into service. He preached. This may be the greatest single example of a revival ever. One whole city never heard of it. One whole city. How many, how many people? Well, it says in chapter 4, they had 120,000 who didn't know the right hand from their left. Now, I've always interpreted that to mean that those were young people, those were children. Now, it may not be. It may be that they had a population of 120,000. Some think that. Others think they have a population of 600,000 or so, that they had that many children, and then they had adults. So whatever, it was a big city. In those days, it was a huge city. And in, in preaching, I don't even know if he finishes three days. The word reaches the king, 
And he's, he commands a fast, no eating, no tasting anything. Even the animals had to fast. Let everyone call urgently on God. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. Was God angry with them? Yeah, he was. The smell had gotten to him. He's a holy God. For a holy God not to have some response to unholiness would be an unhealthy tolerance. He has a response, consistent response. When the Bible talks about anger, most of the time it's talking about God. But listen to verse 10. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he had compassion and did not bring upon them the destruction he had threatened. And in chapter 4, we hear this dialogue going on between Jonah and God. What's the dialogue? Well, what Jonah ran from was the compassion of God. Look what he says. Tell me if his theology is pretty, pretty balanced here. He said, that is why I was so quick to flee. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Does that sound like the God that you know? Pretty orthodox, isn't it? He's right on. What was his problem? No. Can you think of anybody that you are so disturbed about that you would have problems with God forgiving that person? Have you heard any of the Nazi stories about their cruel brutality? What if some came to Christ before he was killed for his war crimes? Would you want to meet him in heaven? Jonah was having difficulty with that. So God was reasoning with him. And I want, I want you to hear the last part of this. But Nineveh has more, 411, more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left and many cattle as well. Listen to this phrase. Should I not be concerned about that great city? God was moved by their wickedness, but his love trumped his anger. He longed for them says in Ezekiel that God has no pleasure in the death of the wicked. One man put it this way, justice is served by God more by reformed character than corpses. If I want justice, I don't know God in this situation. If I want justice to be played out in the lives of wicked people, I'm not understanding the compassion of God. Should I not be concerned about that great city? So I'm saying, well, if God has that much love for Nineveh, what about the Twin Cities? Should I hear him saying, should I not be concerned about the Twin Cities? 
Should I not be concerned about San Francisco, Moscow, Tokyo, Bemidji, Grand Forks, Atlanta? God has a heart for people that trumps the justice that will one day judge those who do not come to him in faith. Here is the, a staggering truth. Here's what Jesus said. The men of Nineveh will stand in judgment on this generation, said Jesus, because they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and someone here is greater than Jonah. Jesus said that to the religious leaders. Who will be in heaven? The men of Nineveh. They became believers. They believed. They repented of their sins, and they believed in God, and they are saved. How long did it last? Well, unfortunately, it only lasted about 150 years because Nahum, two, about four pages later in your Bible, three chapters in which he's denouncing Nineveh and Assyria. That generation got it, but within three generations, they lost it, unfortunately. Otherwise, we'd see something different in Nineveh today. However, that generation had an incredible miracle where God moved sovereignly. I've never heard of it before. On a whole city, a metropolis, and they were saved. And they will say to these religious people, these Jews, what? You didn't believe in Jesus and you had Jesus speaking to you? We had Jonah, a reluctant prophet, speaking to us, and we repented. We were brutalizers. And we repented. And what happened to you? You are condemned. And they will send these religious people to their condemnation because they didn't put faith in Jesus. Now, is Jesus pleased with that? No, he's not. He said, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you that killed the prophet, how often would I have gathered you under my wings as a hen gathers her young, and you would not. Your house is being left to you desolate. See, judgment is coming, and judgment will come where there is not repentance and a turning to righteousness. Do we preach judgment? Yes, we do. I preach judgment. It's throughout the Bible. There is judgment coming. But look at God's heart. Look at him longing for Nineveh. He doesn't want to judge it. He's longing for the Twin Cities. He's longing for people. He wanted Jonah. Jonah... He was a whiner. Chapter 4, look at him. He doesn't like what happened. Now, let's give him credit. How did Jonah end? Who wrote Jonah? Who wrote the book of Jonah? Jonah. And he gives God the final word. It's a word of grace. It's a word of compassion. Jonah doesn't get, He's honest. He's humble. He's forthright. He's telling about his whining. So something happened to him to change his heart so that he was able to put this story out there. God's looking for people like Jonah. It was reluctant and as weak and as needy as them to connect with. Who sends revival? Who's, who's, who's responsible for revival? Well, it's a dance. 
God does. But you know of one revival where it didn't involve human personality? I don't know of one. Where he touches people and they become the, the spokesman for doing the mighty works of God. I'm looking forward to this revival because I believe we're going to see mental illness healed instantly. I believe we're going to see incredible miracles that we have not seen before this summer. I think we'll be doing, you will be doing powerful signs because God will connect with you and you'll say, I'm available. I'm willing to be like a Jonah. I'm willing to connect the dots. I'm willing to speak either judgment or whatever. If he gives you a message of love, I hope I get a message of love to, to, to preach to uh, the people or to connect with my neighbors. See, I think it'll look different. It's not about getting, in, getting all into a theater and then preaching like Charles did. I don't think Charles Finney. I think it's more where we're going to get the tools and we're going to go out to them and we're going to see miracles out there. And that's going to draw people like it drew people at Pentecost. I'm, I'm excited for what I have a conviction that God's about to, to do. If you're not there yet, that's okay. You take this now and you pray it and see if God speaks into your heart. See what, he, see what he says to you, if you confirm it. When I talk to the LT, some were saying, yeah, I've heard him. Others saying, well, I can't really say I've heard that, but it sure sounds wonderful. And so we're going to, of course, we're going to go together. I've been praying since December, so I have a, a jump on some of us here in terms of praying about revival. I had not prayed about revival before. But I'm moved by this word. Should I not be concerned about this great city? And so I want to say, God, you're concerned about the Twin Cities, aren't you? What can I do? Can I pray? Can I, can I lay hands on people? What do you want me to do? When Charles Finney had revivals, and he had powerful revivals, there are times he would go into places churches or into, into buildings where there were workers, he would walk in, they would look at him, and they would begin to melt, and they would drop to their knees. He carried the presence of God, and there was a holiness about him that, that caused people to start crying. I've read about it in several different sources where they would cry just in the presence because he carried the presence of God with him. But you know what his secret was? Daniel Nash, who would pray sometimes nonstop for three days, no food. He'd lock himself up in a cellar of a rented room, and the, this lady was worried. There's a guy down there. He's whining and, and screaming and crying. We need to get him out. And Charles said, no, he's okay. I know who he is. And he's crying for the souls of men. And Charles Finney knew that. So that after Daniel Gray died, he went into pastoral ministry within several months. I can't remember how long it was. But he knew that his time was over because he didn't have someone who was connecting with God by way of prayer. That may be your way. I'm just going to ask you to, to be praying in this, during this month. Pray, God, what, what will you have me to do in this revival? What, do you want me to dance? Do you want me to, to act? Do you want me to write? Do you want me to draw? Do you want me to call people 
I'm going to invite people. What do you want me to do? I'm submitted myself to you. And he's looking for someone, even a reluctant person like Jonah, he'll use. You say, I, I, I'm afraid. Well, so was Jonah wasn't the mightiest prophet on the block. But God used him powerfully. Let's pray. So in this, in this season now, if, if you could just be in a position of openness, I, I'd, I'd love to hear if God speaks to you. Different ones have shared with me that uh, they have heard. One, one's on the LT. She, she was given a word back in, I think, 2010 when she was at IHOP that she was going to have a part in revival in Twin Cities. That was so encouraging to me. Different ones have shared words. And so you just listen to the Lord. Be relaxed. You know, this isn't about being stressed or, or uh, being hyper. It's about listening and waiting on the Lord and letting him speak to you and just saying, God, I want to be used. I want to be touched. I, I want you to have your way in me and my life. Yeah, you have something, Levi? Yeah. Whoa. Isn't that wonderful? That's wonderful. That's wonderful. I heard that last Friday as well from Mike Smith. Any other any other words? Any other uh, responses? Any other yeah, did you you want to share something? Um just as uh we were in worship, uh what Paul was sharing is something what the Lord really had put on my heart about just how, you know, revival is, is coming and, and how um, people are, instead of asking people to come here, we're going to be sent out onto other people's church. And um, I really felt like even like an encouragement from the Lord <clears throat> to us tonight, you know, saying that there's, um, everyone here has the ability, is able to be used by God. And I really feel like oh. this is a season where some of us are going to be sent out onto the church and some of people like and some people are going to be raised up as the intercessors praying for those being sent out and um i really feel like a common mentality that you know when it comes to just going out and witnessing is god that saying god i can't be used by you you know and i feel like the lord's response to that is why not why can't you be used by me you know and the, and the response to that is is you can yes you know? um yeah. And something that I was just reading about was um, Joshua 2 with Rahab and the spies. And if you look and you see who was it that helped the spies hide out in the city. It was. It doesn't say Rahab, the city gardener. It doesn't say Rahab, the woman who everyone loved and respected. It says Rahab, the prostitute. You know? And probably if you even look back Looking at Rahab, she you know, wasn't respected. If you if you want to look at it in more modern terms, if you live in the neighborhood, she was probably the neighbor that people talked about behind <coughs> her, her back, and she probably had, I don't know, not very good, kept the lawn with trash and scattered all over the place. But, like, the Lord used her in her willingness to mm -hmm. help the spies, mm -hmm. you know? 
And I think that's really what the Lord is, is kind of looking for and just encouraging us is the, the willingness to say yes. If the Lord can use a prostitute in a city that's about to be destroyed to help heal the spies, certainly, without a doubt in my mind, he can use anyone here. You know? That's so good. And so I just really felt like um, the Lord is just encouraging all of us, you know, just to really step out and, and, and ask, Lord, how are you going to use me and what does this look like? You know, so just an encouragement. That's a huge encouragement. Yeah. Thank you. Mm-hmm. I think it's important to remember, too, as we talk about going out to enemy turf, that, you know, when Moses approached the burning bush, he said, take off your sandals. This is holy ground because the presence of God was there. And we have to remember that even though we're on enemy turf, where you where you are standing is holy ground because of the very presence of God is in us because yeah. Jesus died for us yeah. and the Holy Spirit came to us. Yeah. So the very yeah. ground that you stand on wherever you're at is holy ground. It's God's territory. It's what he's given to you at that moment. Very good. And, and just to echo too, I've, I've heard that there's been a Jesus renewal or there's been a, a Holy Spirit movement and, and there is a God the Father movement coming. I've heard that a number mm-hmm. of times. Mm-hmm. 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 Generation, like really, it's, it's, it's God's answer to what, what we. I mean, there's, there's a difference between weakness. There's like a difference between weakness and being, and and, and being a, and being someone who's like glaringly in sin or being someone who's glaringly. And I think so many of us are so orphaned and don't. I don't like a lot of people don't know. They don't know. You know, we talk about like, he's the best dad in the whole world, but no one knows because we don't really know where our father was. We don't know mm-hmm. a lot about him. And mm-hmm. I think this is God's answer to that. It's like. There's a difference between weakness and being willingly caught in sin or willingly, willingly, you know, willingly, willingly wicked. And yes. Malachi 4, 5, and 6. Turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. I uh, meet regularly with a group of pastors. I'm meeting this Thursday at 1 o'clock with pastors. And as I started praying and, and looking at this Jonah passage and then, and then reading about... Daniel Nash, I, I said, I want to collect together uh, the intercessors. I want to hear from them and uh, make sure that they realize how important their part is. So I invited some to come at 12 on Thursday. And if you are an intercessor and you know you are an intercessor, you know that that's a primary calling that you have. Or if you know of those who are, please tell me. Please tell me who they are, because I want to invite them. Because at this point, I don't know, we have about six or eight coming. But, uh, and I want to challenge them, the importance of their task in this season. They can make the difference. Simply by staying in their room and praying, they can make the difference. So Holy Spirit, just work your work and, and show us the part that we can play. Show us what you have for us to do. And I pray that you would heal us of a desire to run like Jonah ran. I pray that you would give us a a better look at your heart of compassion so that we know that you want to touch all kinds of communities here in the Twin Cities and pour that out 
over the globe. I've got a number, I don't know if I shared my number with you, but I, I've got a number in my head of the number that I expect to see saved. And uh, you can pray for your own number and see if it compares to mine. As I was thinking about it, I listened to a tape from a friend of mine today or yesterday, and he, he used the same number that I have. When uh, Evan Roberts asked for a number, when the Lord told him to, that he was going to be used mightily in the Welsh revival, he started praying for 100,000 souls, and he got them. 100,000 came in. So I'm, I'm praying for a, just a huge move of God's Spirit. We don't have a lot of people here tonight. doesn't matter. People move by the Spirit of God. Two can put 10,000 to flight. That's all. So what I'd like you to do now is just uh, groups of two, groups of three. I would say no more than three. But pray together about this revival. And please let me know if God speaks to you about the revival, if he says something to you, email me, call me. And then also, if you know, or if you are an intercessor, or if you know of someone, we're going to meet here on Thursday at noon for an hour before we pray with a group of pastors together. So I'd like those people to be included. So take, take a moment now, just can be five minutes or whatever, just to pray about this theme of revival with each other.